welcome back to another episode of Stories from Mountain Town. It has been a little bit, a little while for me getting on the podcast lately, but today I am with Jim Hickey from Jim Hickey Real Estate or Engel and Volkers Real Estate. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, Jim, tell us a little bit, bit about yourself. Um, yeah, what's there to tell? We'll go way back, <laughs> December 9th, 1970. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so I moved to Wyoming in 1994. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Went to oh, school nice. in Virginia. And um, people ask me why I moved to Wyoming, and pretty simple, for the hunting and fishing. Yeah. And uh, I was a fishing guide and uh, hunting guide. Turned that into a 20-year career. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Wanted a new challenge, wanted a different chapter. It was time and um, checked out of where I was working and got my real estate license. And yeah, that's where I've been for the last eight years. Yeah. I still feel very fortunate to do it here. Yeah. Awesome. Have you always been under the uh, Anglin Volker umbrella? No. In fact, I started off with Remax Obsidian, mm-hmm. which is no more, mm-hmm. and then Sotheby's. International bought Remax Obsidian, mm-hmm. so then I was with Sotheby's, yeah. and then I left Sotheby's to join Engel and Volkers. Nice, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, and you have you always specialized in just the ranch ranch style properties? No, is the short answer. It was always my ambition, mm-hmm. it, but as in most jobs, you you first have to do everything that you can to get established. Uh, to make a living, to pay the bills, yeah, uh, to learn, mm-hmm. and um, and as soon as I felt like I was gaining some proficiency, that's where I I knew I wanted to go. Yeah, was in that ranch and recreation space. Yeah, that's part of who I am and why I'm here. Totally. Yeah, I guess I, I should go back and say, kind of why we brought you in today. Um, Jim Hickey Real Estate is uh, the newest client of Multimedia Marketing, so thank you for trusting us with your brand. My pleasure. Um, we're thank we're you. working. With um, what do, what do we call Justin's title? Assistant? What is he? Justin is the executive assistant. Executive assistant um, to create content, drive strategy for your social media. Um, starting on Instagram, right? Instagram and Facebook right now. Looking to maybe move into LinkedIn potentially in the future. Um, but yeah, that's why I brought you in. And um, where I was going with that was, uh, you've mentioned on some of the content that we posted why you like ranch style property so much but if you could just um, restate that sure for them yeah, you bet so i mean again i came to this part of the world because of hunting and fishing mm-hmm. and horseback riding and mountaineering and backcountry camping and all those sorts of things and so you know that is my passion that is a big piece of who i am and um, i'm fortunate enough to help people buy and sell those types of properties here uh, it's you know it really is part of my DNA whether mm-hmm. it's uh, f- fishing on a stream or mm-hmm. hunting in the backcountry it's yeah it, it's uh, it's what I do yeah and that that probably helps you in being like you know authentically excited for the process mm-hmm. um, you know I've been like I said I'm in tech sales I've sold stuff that I don't really believe in and it's so hard to get up, get excited and try to get your client excited to buy something that you're not even really into yes but to Very. say that like the hobbies that you love to do or what you're providing for your clients is makes probably things so much easier for you. So much easier. Um, you know, when you can see the potential and, and you can see all the benefits and attributes of a property, Yeah, you, you certainly want to 
make sure that they resonate with your folks, with your clients. Um, but at the same time, if if they resonate with you, you're a much better um, encourager, sounding board, listener uh, for those folks mm-hmm. than you might be if it's a property that really doesn't hold any interest to you. Yeah. Yeah. And and frankly, I try and stay away from that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm texting my... Uh, um, this I'm not going to post this podcast for, you know, maybe till next week or next week. Uh-huh. So I can tell you this, but, um, in that drawer right over there is an engagement ring. Ooh. Um, so the, I'm texting a photographer cause we're going to talk about doing it tomorrow. Oh my god! So yeah. So That's podcast is your first time hearing it. You'll probably already know if you follow me on Instagram by the time I post this podcast, but there it is. It's fantastic. I wouldn't normally text I, I, during a podcast. I feel honored that I get yeah. that inside information. Holy yeah, cow. you're you're on the short list right okay. now. Okay, okay. But I didn't want to make it seem like I was just texting blatantly in your yeah. face. That's okay. That's um, okay. That takes precedent. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and so because there aren't, you know, a ton of ranch style properties, you kind of need to cover a large right. territory. Can you kind of explain what? Uh, maybe areas or counties you absolutely cover. so um i live in idaho and i mm-hmm. cover basically everything from just south of uh pocatello idaho mm-hmm. all the way up through idaho falls into island park mm-hmm. and then all along the snake river plain so island park to swan valley mm-hmm. and then of course over into teton valley idaho teton county wyoming even down into sublet county wyoming so yes it's a it's a big range mm-hmm. to find those properties yeah Mm-hmm. Definitely, and um, oh crap! What was I was going to say, um, oh Swan Valley, yeah, that is. I need to spend more time in there. Oh yeah, I've been. I did like. Have you ever been hiked in the uh, upper? There's like two lakes that are like five miles in from like a. Uh, a, a trailhead a little bit south of like the main intersection in Swan Valley t- to the on the east side of the valley and you kind of go into the would that be the Snake River Range in there? Mm-hmm. So okay. if you're you're headed from Swan Valley, take a left like you're going to Alpine. Yep. And then those lakes are going to be up on your on your east side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering. I don't know which ones you're referring oh, to. Oh, it's Upper Palisades Lake. Yeah, That's sure, what it is. Yeah. Sure. I've never been all the way up there. Yeah. I've been on Palisades Creek. Gorgeous. Yeah. Really neat spot. Yeah. Really. That was like uh, when uh, Tay and I, so I've lived here, it'll be three years in March. And Taylor, Taylor and I would take trips out here. Pretty much every vacation we did was just coming here before we moved here. And that was kind of my first really big hike where I was like, wow, we're really far in here. Uh, I'm out of shape for be, for doing like high mountain hiking. We went. It was like maybe like a 12 mile day total, but four people coming from Minnesota like straight into it. Mm-hmm. We were dying. We, yeah. we did not bring enough water. It yeah. was like a hot summer day. Like I drank some of like the lake water, like the stream water, way out there, and I was fine. But then luckily we found some campers and they had a filter. Thank but, God. Yeah, yeah, thank God. But it was like this was. We we were we did not we should not have gone that far in, mm-hmm. but it was mm-hmm. the chase of like we saw a picture of the lake on an app and we're like oh that's so beautiful we got to get up there yeah I I feel like for those of us that moved here from someplace a lot flatter and a mm-hmm. lot lower than mm-hmm. uh, Wyoming and Eastern Idaho we all have those stories where we got into an adventure that yeah. suddenly got very real very yeah. fast yeah and we learned some valuable lessons yeah it's the classic type two fun 
mm-hmm. where when you're in it, it's like this sucks. You know, may not live. This is terrible. Like it was a death. <laughs> it was a death march on the way out. Totally. We were when none of us were saying anything. We were just like, get out of here. A little bit mad at each other. Yeah, we're all yeah. pissed off at each other, and. And then we just got out. And then we look back on it. It was like, oh, that was a beautiful hike. We got out. Like, we're not feeling the thirst anymore. So we're fine. Right. We're right. fine now. All's but, well that ends well. But yeah, now knowing what I knowing what I know now, like, I would have packed way more water. I would have packed way more food. Would have packed, sure. actually packed sunscreen. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a, a story a little bit like that about the Snake River. Um, I moved out here because some of my friends from Virginia were living here. Mm-hmm. And he asked me if I wanted to go canoeing. And if you canoe in Virginia, for the most part, it's mellow, it's chill, it's easy. Mm-hmm. He, I said, well, where do we go? He said, oh, Wilson South Park, be fun. So we're in his um, 14-foot <laughs> aluminum canoe. Oh, man. That had didn't realize it at the time, never seen the Snake River. <laughs> and should have known when he didn't know how to lash it down to his car properly. Yeah. But somehow we got it to the t- uh, put in. We put it on the river. We were getting ready to take out at, south park and it gets a little bit dynamic there especially in a 14 foot canoe (laughs) and he said something along the lines of man i I probably should have uh done a little more scouting on this section of river before we did this and yeah at the time i thought well that's a good lesson yeah know what you're getting into yeah yeah that's a funny stretch i've asked like chaz and trav if like that would be a fun stretch to to uh uh, paddleboard Tay and I do paddleboarding mm-hmm. we usually go South Park to Astoria which is totally chill oh yeah but I was like how about this I one guys and they're like eh don't go if you don't know where you what you're doing yeah I think it's good advice a lot of deadfall a lot of stuff in the water that could get to be hazardous yeah. in a hurry yeah for sure mm-hmm. a lot of different canals yep exactly totally what did you um did you when you moved here had you been fly fishing before mm-hmm. oh yeah we grew up doing it my parents were both teachers so in the summertime we'd pack the car go camping in the mountains yeah fish everywhere we could i mean that was my drive i just can never remember not fishing yeah it's in like the app what would be the appalachians the appalachian chain blue ridge mountains specifically the great smokies mm-hmm. yep oh classic yeah those are all classic mountain ranges they are old and beautiful and yeah. not nearly as rugged but but very charming yeah mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people say about the mountains out there and then even i was listening to a podcast we talked they were talking about the mountains in arkansas they called them rugged but intimate mm-hmm. where it's there's still plenty of mountain there for any human sure but it's not the extreme alpine that you'd see you know somewhere in the tetons or the rockies in general right yeah, or the right. sierras or something right you you have to really work hard to find a place to uh to fall a great distance they're yeah. very gently sloping for the most part yeah but still plenty yeah plenty mm-hmm. of mountain yeah mm-hmm. i've never been out that way i've i've, I've li- I've like flown, you know, I've been to like Florida, but flown, but never like driven through those Eastern mountain ranges oh, at all. Oh yeah. And those scenic drives are beautiful. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're really pretty. Yeah. I'll probably have to end up going. We have a couple of close friends. One of them lives in, uh, or is from Maine rather lives here, but, um, he's been telling us to go out there with him and, and then go into probably have to go into Vermont for some skiing at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. There's a lot. Have you noticed how many and you are one of them, but people from the Northeast mm-hmm. that are here. Oh, yeah. Are, I guess Virginia's not. Virginia Virginia's more, more mid, of the Southeast. Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we identify with the Southeast. Yeah. Um, 
that's how we identify ourselves. Yeah. It's funny how the South is considered like Virginia to Georgia, but then Florida is not. Right. And then if farther west you go, like Arizona is not, quote unquote, the South. Right. Texas is not the South. Right. Very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Very particular. Totally. And then did you, so you moved here and like fish, had you had you been a fish guide, fishing guide before you? No, no. It, in fact, uh, when I moved here, I worked for an outfitter over in the Wind River Range in mm-hmm. Lander, Wyoming. And that's really where I learned the trade and, and, and started. And then um, went back to Virginia and started a company there. Uh, doing the the fly fishing guide service in Virginia, mm-hmm. and then would come out here in the fall and guide hunters, mm-hmm. and ran that circuit for a while, and then eventually uh, we decided that that this is the place for us to be full time, mm-hmm. and so we moved to Jackson full time in two thousand one. Nice, mm-hmm. that's a long time. We've been yeah. here a while. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, I, I doesn't feel like it, but it has been. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And you eventually, at one point, you worked, did you work with Chaz or Trav or both? So I think Chaz and I joined WorldCast Anglers about the same year. Yeah. So that would have been 2001, because I remember taking a trip on the South Fork of the Snake, and he was one of the other guides on the trip, and it was one of his first guide trips also for WorldCast Anglers. Yeah. So yeah, we worked together there for a number of years. Yeah. Till he went back to school, I believe, back to business school. Yeah, he went to like uh, university, or Denver University and guys MBA, and I then think I think that's he lived right. in Denver for a little bit. Yeah, and then got in the he got in the corporate world and then hated it, and then started Stillworks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's so cool to me to see um, a lot of like our our communities business leaders a lot of them started as like you know your ski bum or fishing bum type, and I don't mean bum derogatorily, sure, sure. but like they come in being bartenders. Um, ski instructors, lifties, fish guides, mm-hmm. and they do that for a few years. And then, you know, they either they've had this business idea or they start up a business idea. They go into real estate a lot mm-hmm. of times like you did. Mm-hmm. And then they become these business leaders where if you looked at, if, you know, not knowing anything about Jim Hickey, you just said this, oh, this guy's in real estate for England Volker and Jackson Hole. He must have, you know, been the real, a real straight edge character, right. always doing the corporate oh, yeah. thing. But no, you like spent your time doing what you loved and, that eventually said, you know, here it's time to do something, do something more serious. Exactly, and and do something that is sustainable and yeah. long term. Yeah, because we love the place where we live, so we have to figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, it's the pressure that that saying about pressure makes diamonds or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. and I'm feeling the same thing. I, I was, <laughs> I had a good year last year. I told you so. I've been talking to like a you know a financial advisor and uh, your your friend Anna. Yep, Anna Knapp, and. It's like, okay, if the, if I know my goal is wanting to raise a family in Jackson Hole, own a house in Jackson Hole, you know, we got to work backwards a little bit from there. And how do I make that happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the normal rate of income that I maybe was at a couple of years ago was, was not going to cut it. And even probably what I'm doing now is not going to cut it. But to keep progressing upwards and keep that in my mind and that's my goal, you know, it just it's making me be better, work right. harder, and focus more on what I'm really trying to do. And it helps like me block out everything that doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That's, so exactly that's really helped right. me. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, um, I was telling somebody recently, I'm a, I'm not a very good career advice person because I just say, follow your dreams. And yeah. you know, that's, that's worked for me. And yeah, I think it's worked for a lot of people here. Yeah. 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 Like you see, um, 
I mean, Traz and Trav are great examples. Like they, they now run the only distillery in town and they, they were both, I think, I think Trav was a fishing guide too at one point, but they're both fishing guides. They both did, did you know, Chaz was a lifty for a season two when he first moved here. So they all did this stuff and they're like, you know what? We have this great idea and we're going to go be successful at it. And they just work hard and did their thing. And now they are who they are. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've been blessed with the fact that uh, what I love doing and I, there's something that I love doing and I love like the sales process and that whole thing mm-hmm. and also marketing and um, I'm decently good at it. Mm-hmm. And also it's something that people will pay for. You know? right. It's not like I'm really good at like making balloon animals or something where <laughs> I could be the best you know, balloon animal artist. <laughs> That's a weird example for the first thing. But no, no one's really going to pay you much of a living wage to be appropriate. Yeah, yeah, the best balloon animal person in Jackson Hole, right? Right. Maybe, maybe there is. I don't know. Super niche. Yeah, yeah. Teton Village in the summer, maybe make a little bit. Of yeah, money. yeah. But like, I just got lucky that the things I like doing are also like people will pay for. So yeah. that's that's just I've been really thankful for that. Yeah, that's a really good point. They all have to sort of come together to make it work. Yeah, because yes. you can kind of some people, you know, sacrifice. You know, they can do something, they get paid well for it. But right. maybe they don't love it, right. or they love something, then they can get paid for it, but they're not very good at it. Yes, you know, That's all right. of us with golf, basically. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> A lot of money in golf, but none of us are good at it. None of us. Well, nobody I know is getting paid for it. No. Let me think. No, not really. Do you play much golf? Uh, I used to play a lot of golf and kind of kind of quit it because I couldn't play enough to be consistently where I wanted to be mm-hmm. and started to get frustrated with it. Thought yeah. I should be better than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, took up tennis, mm. which is more yield for input ratio. Mm-hmm. So you can put the same amount of time and get a lot better faster at tennis yeah. than I could at golf. Yeah. So, yeah, I've taken that and uh, left the clubs at the garage. Yeah. Nice. But I love it. Yeah. And I would play tomorrow if mm-hmm. somebody had the opportunity yeah. or if uh, invited me. I just, uh, yeah, it takes a lot more time. Yeah. To definitely. stay good. Yeah. I just, uh, last fall, I joined at Jackson Hole Golf and Tennis. Oh, good for so you. So I'll have to get you out there that's, in the summer. That's my favorite course around here. Is it? Oh, it is. Yeah. It reminds it's, me of the courses back east. It's older, mature. Yeah. Uh, a lot of target mm-hmm. type golf. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, I played it. Actually, we keep talking about still works, but I played it with those guys for like a, a scramble event for mm-hmm. something, and it was my first time playing. And I was like, this course seems like I could play it like every single day. Absolutely, you know, like you could play it a lot of different ways. It's seventy four hundred yards from the back tees, but all of the distance is in the par fives, where all the par fives are almost six hundred yards from mm-hmm. the back tees. Mm-hmm. So you could play it in a lot of different ways. Like there's so many par fours we can, you know, maybe today you're feeling driver, you hit driver, you go aggressive, you try to cut a corner, or right. you can just, you know, hit a wood or a hybrid or something, and you're, and you're still fine. Yep. Yeah. And then the challenge is really like, my favorite courses that I could play every day. They give you options off the tee, number one. It's not mm-hmm. like demanding like the sporting club is very mm-hmm. demanding off mm-hmm. the tee. It's you need to hit there's one hole on the front where it's like you need to hit two hundred and fifty yards with a little fade, nothing to, nothing else, or you're losing the ball. You know? Yeah, that's a tough shot for me. Yeah. And to do it every day and to say, like, yeah, that's where I want to spend this amount of money and play it every day and not lose my mind losing ball- golf balls every mm-hmm. single day. Yeah. And also the sporting clubs now insanely expensive. But besides that, um, 
playability is a great thing where yeah. like the give me the challenge the the green complexes at golf and tennis are a great challenge with the amount with how close the bunkers are and how many bunkers there are and then the, the greens are most of them are pretty well sized mm-hmm. but there are a lot of there's a lot of tiers on mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. so if you're really like your your average golfer or even you know like anybody on a bad day you can still try to hit the middle of green and like that's your game for the day but then better golfers when or when you're dialed one day you can go really and be like, I want to be on the tier that the hole is on, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So again, it just gives all the layers, all the different levels of players a really good chance to have a great time. Yep, that's right. And that's what you look for in like an everyday sort of I, course. I totally agree. Well, that's great. Uh, you you know, hopefully we'll have a long summer and fall and early spring. Well, except for the skiers and snowboarders, but yeah. Which I am, so I'm kind of torn. Get I'm a like, lot of golf in. Yeah, and I've been, and they they have a cross country ski trail out there this um, this winter, and I've been going around on it. That's good there. It'll, I think it'll stay. It'll stay. Yeah. I'll take my jacket off. Yeah, you're bumping the little knob. Oh, right. Um, but the uh, the snowpack on the course that, or at least on the trail, is like not that deep. So if we get some warm weather, watch the cord there. Yeah. If we get some warm weather, I think we could have an early golf season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which has been kind of a bummer. The amount of snow we're getting. Sorry, folks. We're doing a uh, wardrobe change. Costume change. I'll hold that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, The amount of snow we're having, we're getting right now, is kind of a bummer. You got it? There you go. Thank you. Yeah. A little dry. A little cold. Yeah. Not as much snow. In the years you've been here, have you seen other winters kind of like this where it was like, you know, wet and warm late, you know, into December? I, I mean, I golfed on December 6th at the sporting club. Yeah, that is really late. Uh, I have. The first five years I was here full time. So like one through six or at least one through 2001 through 2004. Those were all very dry winters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did. We had late falls. I, I remember even Thanksgiving. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, light snowpack. And then we'd be fishing in earnest, gosh, June on the snake, which sounds crazy because usually it's just blown out and muddy and gross. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very similar. So we'll see. There's a lot of winter left. Yeah. Never know. Yeah. It's tough to tell. I was, um, you know, with all the climate change conversation going on and how it's like, oh, we'll never have a, win- like a good winter again because of people that drive trucks, basically, you know. Yeah. I was just, uh, Joe Rogan has this guy on right now who's like a, you know, savant kind of guy. He was, he graduated high school at 16, was a college professor at, professor at 23, and then went to work for BP looking for alternative energy sources and now does like climate change study stuff. Mm-hmm. But he was saying that a lot of the models that they look at right now are, um, they're kind of too, they're looking at too small of a time frame, you know? So if you were to look at, this is an extreme example, but if you looked at like the last four winters and you said, look at the average temperature, average snowfall, you'd think, wow, this is really going to be bad, like, you know, in a couple of years in Jackson. But if you look at the last 150 years of those two things, you would see it goes up and down. And it maybe progresses a little bit in one direction, but it's, uh, but not that rapidly, mm-hmm. and the, on the average. Yeah. So it's kind of we- a weird thing to think about. Like, you know, is Jackson going to be this wintry destination for as long as I want it to be, and my kids want it to be, and all that, all that kind of stuff? Or, 
you know, what are we looking at here? It's kind of yeah, scary. That is, that is an interesting question because I've always wondered how long is the snapshot, you know? Yeah. How long is our frame of reference and does it really matter? Because 10 years probably doesn't matter in the long, in the no. grand scheme of things. Yeah. And this guy was talking about a lot of the um, kind of media man- manipulation around how they talk about climate change, where they take, they, they, they handpick stats that, um, push their agenda of like the sky is falling kind mm-hmm, of a thing. Sure. Um, and then that's what they put all their effort behind and policy behind. And then that's not good for anybody because it's not really all that truthful, but yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a lot to think about. Like, yeah. cause yeah. Do you know, if, even if you're the most like devout, like, yes, the sky is falling, I'm going to do something to change it. You still got to get places, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And we know that like electric cars, they don't have emissions, but then in the creation process and the battery process and the mining of the metals, there's a lot of bad impact on the environment. So is it better? I don't know. Is it a cool piece of technology? Definitely. Right. But is that, you still got to go some places. You're not going to have zero waste because you still need to have, you're still going to have garbage occasionally. You still have, you know, you still have an uh, environmental impact. Mm-hmm. If you're all into it, like what do you even do? Do you just go back and go somewhere and live in a tent? You know, right? Yeah. And even if then you're burning wood, and then that's not good either. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like nobody's really presented like a great solution for the average person. Yeah. You know, have you know have less one-use plastics is a great place to start. But right, right. Small small changes. Yeah. Yeah. Things that you can control yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I'm with you. Definitely. Um, I wanted to talk through. Uh, Justin and I were talking about. Uh, we're use use this on a post. Um, uh, if you could talk through kind of the story of the, that testimonial kind of a story of, uh, a property that you helped a client with where they were trying to, um, conserve the land in a different way or a better way or something. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think just I think as an so. example of like, you know, I think, I think a lot of the, a lot of, uh, the people living in mountain towns see people buying these. 15 20 million dollar ranches mm-hmm. and they think oh there's some oil baron and mm-hmm. whatever they're not and they're not there to help the environment but on the flip side actually a lot of them a lot of the land is held up in um conservation easements and things and but i'll let you go ahead and yeah. explain all that yeah very true um yeah i i like to say that i try and help people realize their vision of the western lifestyle you know and and whatever that looks like to those people skiing or hunting or fishing or you know, going to the village for opera ski, uh, whatever their vision <laughs> yeah. is, I want to help them realize that. Yeah. That's, that's what I was fortunate enough to do. It sounds like that's what you were fortunate enough to do. Yeah. And, uh, it's really rewarding. Yeah. In this specific case, um, th- this is a person that's a Valley resident and his vision of the Western lifestyle is, you know, the real ranching wide open spaces cowboy state lifestyle Mm -hmm. yeah ironically this property was in idaho yeah um but it was a very specific property for that lifestyle for that vision because it was surrounded on all four sides by national forest and it's a very important uh spawning habitat for cutthroat trout Mm. a very important habitat for moose for elk for deer uh, for all of the the wildlife in that area and he just did not want to see it bought divided and developed Mm -hmm. so he bought it and he plans to do 
nothing with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe grow some hay on it, as people have been doing for decades. Yeah, that's about as much development. In fact, he called me and he said, "Jim, I've, I've, I've changed my mind. I have development plans." And I thought, "Oh boy, here we go, <laughs> here we go." Yeah. You know, it all sounds fun and games, and then people start seeing how much money they can make, and yeah, they change their mind. Maybe yeah. they do want to develop it, and sell yeah. it off. Yeah. I said, okay, well, what, what do you have in mind? He said, well, you know those canvas tents that the outfitters use? Yeah. I think I'm going to put one of those up on the platform. <laughs> Development. And yeah. then when I go over there, or if you go over there, well, we can bring our sleeping bag and we can spend the night over there sometime. I said, oh, okay, that's that's development I can get my hands around. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool that that's what he called development, yeah. like tents. That's amazing. Yeah, so that was his grand plan, to to – to my knowledge, he has not executed on it. Yeah. There's still no wall tent on the property. Yeah. So TBD. Yeah. That's super cool. I love how that's a, um, a tool that a lot of landowners can use here is these conservation easement type things to make mm-hmm. sure that like, you know, whether it's they're thinking about their their offspring down a couple generations down the line selling mm-hmm. it off or mm-hmm. something, or they're just super, you know, super conservation minded people. Mm-hmm. That's... You know, it's it's a great thing when you uh, to look at it that we get to keep that open space, mm-hmm. but then it also causes somewhat causes the uh, the the housing issues that we're every mountain town is faced with because we're all of our land is already developed or under e- easements or national national land. Right, and and to be clear on this specific case, he did not put a conservation easement. He mm-hmm. had the resources where he didn't need to do that. He could just buy it and leave it as it is oh, in okay. perpetuity. Yeah. But conservation easement certainly is a, a great tool for just what you're saying, conserving the land and restricting development uh, as, as you see fit. Um, yes, the crisis you're talking about in Teton County, Wyoming, is very urgent. Yeah. And, and, and the restrictions on the land and the uh, lack of available land to build on, is it's a big deal. And it's, yeah. it's crowding a lot of people out of this valley, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great economic example of when you can't spread outwardly because of the space, you can't, you can't spread vertically because we have height restrictions on our buildings. Correct. Um, and the demand to be here, demand of jobs because there's a lot of tourism coming through is going up. Some other things got to give, and right now it's the obvious one: is price go, goes up. That's right. You know, that's as, exactly. But it's right. a great, it, it's a great um, case study to look at, like economic forces working to to make other things happen. And even though people are trying to solve it, like economic forces will do what they will. They will. They will. And I, I hope, I hope that I'm not on the podcast to tell you what the answer is because I sure don't know what the. Answer <laughs> no, I don't is. know either. It seems like. I've been coming to Jackson since 2005 or four, you know, with my family skiing at the, you know, we stayed at the Teton club and it seemed like there we were talking, even then we were talking with the workers at the Teton club and they were like, yeah, I bike from town cause I can only afford to live and not have a car. So I bike or it's cheaper to do that than the gas. And it's like, wow. And then we're here 17 years later and we're still having the same conversations about what do we do with the workers? Yeah. You know, it's like, cause even the biggest building in Jack, I don't even know what the, what for the four seasons, maybe it's the biggest building in Jackson, but mm-hmm. obviously they're not going to be employee housing, but like that new one that's just went up on Broadway probably mm-hmm. takes some relief. But then there's also, if we put it to the free market, then there's still going to be people that make good money who will just be like, that's a cool opportunity to live in that apartment. And I want to pay that amount. Right. Sure. 
And then we had the things where like the affordable housing stuff, which who knows if that really like solves the problem. Right. Because it's it's like, you know, if you buy if you buy something with part of the program, you have to sell it to another person in the program in the future. It's very similar to your analogy used earlier about, you know, the pieces of tech and the and the ways in which we try and yeah conserve resources right mm-hmm. but in in so doing are we really doing anything yeah like, is it really helping the problem yeah i, I don't, don't know. know an argument could be made either way i think yeah yeah with that with that example when america's only i think it's like 13 percent of the global emissions if tyler and jim did everything possible to reduce our emissions to almost nothing china is still billions of people mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. or what are they like a billion and a half i don't know um india is like two billion people right and they're not they're not thinking about conservation over no. there no and then with the housing thing you know yeah getting another family of you know a teacher a family of two couple teachers into an affordable ownership situation in a nice condo or something is great um but then that's one drop in the bucket compared to all the other condos in town being worth being priced now for a million and a half yes or something yeah and and i think you can get very discouraged very easily mm-hmm. by thinking in that totality if you can make a small difference in that housing market specifically in this case uh yeah all the better uh the jackson hole housing fund is a new initiative and you know it it can't solve all the problems, but it can certainly make a dent, and mm-hmm. it can certainly help provide housing for people that otherwise wouldn't. And um, and that's you know doing everything you can, controlling mm-hmm. the controllables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know you've joked we you joked about this one day mm-hmm. um, when we were chatting about something, but it actually isn't the real estate agents that are raising prices in the valley. No, no, it's not actually it's, you guys that set prices. No. It's not. It's the market. It's the market. It's you're working on behalf of your clients to whether on the sell side to get them a good return on their on their home and on the buy side to get them something within their budget that they will accept as some place they want to live. Right. Exactly. So it's not Jim saying, oh, how can I up my commission on this on this deal here? Right. Let's let's call it two million. Yeah. It's that's not how that works. No. And I think I think you guys get a real estate agents in general kind of get a bad rap for that, especially here. Yes, I, I totally agree you know we're the we're, we're the, the the evil empire that's profiting off of yeah these crises that we're talking about but yeah no we're we're just we're reacting and facilitating commerce reacting to the markets mm-hmm. and um guiding your clients through the process trying to help which, them like, in the best way we can yeah, the average person could not get through the home buying or selling process without somebody knowledgeable that's right it's it's very complicated it's, and, it's not as simple as like all right my house is for sale all right you want it okay here's right. the here's the deed yeah, right may, maybe is it a it, deed or a title you, well you you have title and deed okay. both yeah yeah there you go transfers. example one why we need real estate agents yeah. i'm an educated person and i didn't know that <laughs> so um yeah, you know, it uh, maybe once upon a time in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, you could buy a piece of land with uh, cash and a handshake. Yeah, a handshake. Yeah. It's uh, not quite that simple anymore. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if there wasn't, if there weren't people willing to continue to keep buying at that price, you know, and hopefully they're not starving because of it, you know, there would be no conversation about you guys being the evil empire, right? That's true. There's actual people out there that want to live this life and be a part of this place at that price. And who can blame them? That's yeah. right. I know. Yeah. It's like everyone, you know, I, per, I also got a little upset at this, but during COVID when everybody from California came out here, 
took their California dollars and turned them into Wyoming dollars, and they got a lot for that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh crap! Like, you know, they're working at startups. They're they just IPO'd their startup for, and they got three million dollars of cash, and they worked hard, and they can do what they want to do, and. Obviously, it makes sense they come here because it's so freaking awesome. Right? That's right. That's right. And with the, uh, you know, the the onset or at least the increase of remote work. Yeah. And they realize that they can work from anywhere. I, I mean, personally, I'd rather work here than downtown L.A. or yeah, even Seattle for that yeah, matter. Seattle, so, yeah. Um, who can blame them? Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, and I was complaining at one end, and then also I did that, but before COVID. Yeah. <laughs> it was March of nineteen that I moved here, but I was in tech sales. I, we went remote and I was like, all right, manager, I'm moving to Jackson. Like, I'll be good. And she's like, all right, just make your number and you're all good. And I'm, so then I did that and I lived on Saddle Butte for a year okay, and then moved down to here. And, uh, you know, those two spots are as good as anywhere that anybody could live at my age in Jackson Hole. So very blessed to that. So it was like, it's perspective. Yes, it is. Exactly right. Perspective. Bridger wants to join in the podcast. Hey, what are you saying, bud? What's going on? Speechless. Yeah. He, he's, he's nervous. He's nervous. Stage fright. <laughs> Bridger, no. Got a little something to say there. <laughs> Good boy. Yeah, so Bridger is... We're getting a little bit worried that his joints are starting to hurt him from all his activity. Mm-hmm. He's getting a little bit sore... I can hear some clicking a little bit when he gets up after long stuff. We're trying to give him a I lot. I feel of, you, brother. Yeah. I know the feeling. We've been trying to give him a lot of like CBD and mm-hmm. good food and stuff and taking, making sure after big days in the backcountry, he gets a couple days of rest and yeah. um, then doing just like flat walks around the neighborhood after that. Yeah. Because yeah. he needs walks because he's kind of antsy and he gets kind of naughty when he doesn't get walks, but yeah, we want him to be able to do that forever. For sure. And I know that I, I think the German Shepherds kind of have that that you know that predilection towards mm-hmm. joint yeah did you see the issues. the gofundme that i posted a couple times on my instagram i didn't I'll it's so our it our best friends nick and haley they have a german shepherd bridger's girlfriend actually her name is oh. zuma she is all german shepherd and um she yesterday she got one hip replaced and still has to get the second one. Oh my god but she yeah she started to like basically drag her back feet and like couldn't get upstairs oh, so, so they're like yeah shit and it was started like her, the ball in her joint started to have like spikes on it. Yeah. Like it got really bad, like Yikes. the bad, bad German Shepherd hips. So she just got one done. We did a GoFundMe for her and we, um, we were thinking it'd be about $12,000 total for the two thing, for the two hips. Mm-hmm. And we raised like $7,500. That's fantastic. Yeah. So Great. at least over one hip. Yeah. I put a bunch of money in. So I decided that I get. When she gets all done, I'll like circle a spot and call that whatever percentage of the two hips. That's my spot. Yeah, that's and, great. Yeah, but she just got out and she's moving around a little bit. She kind of holds the leg up still, but she's all good with one now, and it's yeah. should be good. Fantastic! I'll have to check that out. I'll definitely yeah. look at your Instagram page. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll text you the link. Okay. Yeah, it's still active, but it's so sad when when really fun active doggies have to like get injured like that because mm-hmm. it's just a part of the life. And you know, like I said, Bridger just turned five and it's a youngster yeah but then you look at it, it's like that's you know big dogs live 10 maybe 12 years mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. so that's almost half his life mm-hmm. it's like well half is gone now what do we want to do with the other half and then mm-hmm. his hopefully he stays healthy and, and able so how many more you know i start to, you start to think about how many more years do we have left of being able to go 
you know, five miles in the backcountry, yep. riding powder. He's, I mean, they run on the lines that I snowboard on. Oh my gosh. So like they've, they, do you, are you familiar with the uh, spot called unskiable? No. It's up. If you look at, if you're looking at like the Southern Tetons here, there's Mount Glory in the far South. And that one's very distinct. Sure. And then sure. the bowl North of that is called the like little Tuckerman's ravine, I think. And then the bowl one North of that is called unskiable. Cause I, I don't think you'd be able just, I think it's hard to ski it or something, but I went up there and I did a line up there and I snowboarded it. And then these guys were like right behind me. And it's like a very, it's like steeper than a normal black diamond, but it's powder. Uh-huh. So I was like, these guys are freaking badasses. Like they couldn't, most, most people couldn't ski or snowboard down that. And they just walked it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure how good that is for their joints. Yeah. Long-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They probably loved it though. They loved it. They have so much fun out there. Like whenever I put on, like my jacket or my snow pants or start to like put my skins on in here. They like know what's going on and they'll be ready to go. They'll go outside and they'll sit right next to the truck and be like, you're not leaving me here. We're coming with and wait for me to put them in the truck. And then even if I'm not done packing, they'll be just in the truck ready to go. Oh yeah. Bird dogs are the same way. They see you touch a shotgun. Yeah. Oh, they start whining and patting, you know, trying to get out of their kennel or out the door and stand next to the truck. Yeah. I've seen videos where um, a hunter will like, click the whatever the thing that like clicks on a shotgun yeah that noise the receiver the receiver yeah yeah and the dog will like get up and be like what are we doing is there other birds yeah and they'll like freak out and like start shaking like ready to go it's so awesome how their instincts just take over and they're like totally know what's going on yep they sure do yeah they're all about it it's what they live to do yeah and i got bridger so taylor uh mavis taylor's dog and she Mm -hmm. had him in college and we we went to college and we went to college um and then i got bridger shortly after and my whole thing thinking about, I knew I wanted a dog, grew up with labs. Uh, the mom has a Shih Tzu. Um, Great dogs, by the way. <laughs> I don't like Shih Tzus. Oh, I love them. They're, I have two of them. Both, I have four at one time. Wow. Both my mom and Taylor's mom have Shih Tzus, and they both are like mean old ladies. Oh, really? To oh. our dogs. Oh. They'll like bark at them and get in their face. And one of them's like the size of this cup. Uh-huh. And I'm like, <laughs> Sophie, Bridger's eating things bigger than you. Maybe chill out. Like, he's a good boy. He won't do anything. He's actually kind of scared of Sophie. He'll, like, you know when dogs are weird, they, like, look away. Oh, sure. They look away yeah. from the, the mean dog. Yeah. He does that around Sophie, this size Sophie. <laughs> yeah. And, but I'm like, Sophie, like, chill out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ours are very mild-mannered and, and just really, really sweet. They've never met a stranger. They would lick you yeah. to death. But yeah. they awesome. wouldn't be mean. <laughs> It's cool how they started, their breed started as uh, guard dogs to the Chinese I know. dynasty's palaces. Hard to believe. Yeah. And I always wonder, like, were they bigger then or I something? I know. I've, I've heard them referred to as lion dogs, and they do not look like lions. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd like to look that up. I love the stories of how breeds got separated and how they got to become popular. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I read, I read a book called, um, is it up there? Oh, yeah. The one with the German Shepherd on the spine, Once a Wolf. Oh, sure. It's the kind of the genetic story of how wolves turned into the dog breeds we have. And mm-hmm. then it goes from like ancient humans, how we started hanging out with wolves um, to, you know, we, they, we would like leave scraps around our campsites and then they'd come and eat it. And then occasionally they like wolf packs and us would be hunting animals at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of started working together in that sense where, um, the dogs would, or the wolves rather, would run down the animal and get them all tired, and then we would come in and kill it, and then we'd give them part of it. Okay. 
and then then they started hanging around our camps more and more and then we started you know being able to pet them and touch them and then there's something where you know genetics is cool where the wolves that had the behavior to be allow us to like touch them and pet them and like being pet mm-hmm. were able to survive easier mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. then th- that gene got passed on fascinating so then that's why they like getting pet so then those are the ones that then we could start to manipulate and start to actually own to an extent. And then they would say, okay, these, you know, this dog has a really good sense for hunting. So let's have him breed more, him or her breed more. Mm-hmm. And versus these dogs are the same group that don't really have as much of a sense for hunting, but that's what we're using it for. Mm-hmm. So let's breed that. And then those genes pass along. Amazing. And then something crazy happens, you know, with Huskies where they look you know, they're as close as any normal dog would look to an actual wolf with some changes, but their blue eyes are better, have a better time, you know, uh, seeing in the harsh reflective sunlight of the Arctic and Mm -hmm. of Siberia, Mm -hmm. you know, their fur, obviously we know they have two layers. They have their outer layer and their under layer, and they drop that every spring and fall. Mm -hmm. And they grow up, you know, a thick, thick winter coat. And then their pads have both Bridger and Mav's pads have, um, furs between the pads mm-hmm. and then those have oil on them that keep snow from getting stuck between their toes gotcha. where if you were to walk around like a golden retriever or lab sure. they get snowballs in their toes yep. and it hurts them really bad mm-hmm. that's why i mean i got i started this whole story because i was saying i got bridger because i wanted a dog that could walk around in the winter with me and i never had to worry about him yeah no matter what the temperature i, I grew up in minnesota we have a cabin in northern wisconsin so it's you know negative 30 maybe 15 days a year there yeah 15 days a winter right yeah. so it's a lot yeah and those days bridger's just outside chilling you know Amazing. he's okay with that and we can walk around we can do stuff i don't have to worry about his his paws getting you know frostbite or something yeah are you okay with that is that are those temperatures good for you now not anymore okay. i've i was just back there for alex's wedding yeah alex my business partner right um and it was a suit it was like below zero day on the wedding it was inside obviously but we had to go outside for some pictures and I was dying. Yeah. Like it is not, it's different cold there. Yeah. It's like, like if here, I, I kind of describe it to people, we probably have, you know, 10 to 12 below zero days a mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. here and it's all mm-hmm. inversion. So mm-hmm. it burns off when you get up high and you're fine. It's 20 then. In Minnesota, there's probably 35, <laughs> probably 35 or 40 days below zero every winter. And then some, like I said, 10 to 15 30 yeah below yeah it's cold man yeah well i mean today what's it today six ten today when um 12 when tan and i went to the gym it was an inversion it was like minus 10 okay so at you know, golf and tennis yeah. yeah and to me to someone that doesn't love cold that's real cold that's real cold that's when like that's when it gets serious because then your eyes start to like you feel like your eyelids are mm-hmm. freezing mm-hmm. and you breathe in your nose and it like fr- gets frozen and you start coughing yeah yeah, yeah that's all real yeah when uh when uh my sophomore year of college up in duluth minnesota so it's up on lake superior way up north we had 31 days in a row below zero in one of the winters and it got to like the end of it and it was like one degree above and i was like snowboarding and like i was like sweating and like the sun was shining i was like oh this is balmy yeah and i'm like that's fucked up it's It's one degree it's what you get used to yeah Yeah. it's so crazy how the body works like that we're in the same in the same breath um you know, October comes and 
45 feels yep. cold. Yeah. But then you immediately, like today, 45, we'd be sweating so if we were outside. 45 sounds magical. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me that you would choose a place with such strong winters I when know. you don't like, and you know, I know the fishing and it's, you know, it's a yeah. world-class fishing location, but sure. there's other fishing locations there are. without winter, yes. aren't there? I know. And for, for eight years, I would spend my winters in Patagonia. Oh, so wow. for eight winters, I would leave right after Christmas and I wouldn't come back until probably end of March. Wow. So I missed the lion's share of winter around here, um, chasing trout down in uh, Patagonia and Chile. Are, th- are there similar breeds of trout or totally different ones? Oh, no, exactly the same. Uh, in fact, all of the trout down there have been transplanted. Uh, oh. They were all from either North America or Europe. And, um, yeah, so they're the exact same trout you catch around here, but you just chase the summer. Yeah. Uh, like some people chase the winter. Yeah. So, yeah. Are there, was there a native, a, a, like a fully native species that like just died off? There's there a, a, there is one that I'm aware of, and there may be others, uh, that live in the same cold water streams and rivers that we used to fish for trout. And that was called the perca. And then the perca was the native fish there. Uh, I never caught one. I never saw one. I have friends that that have done both uh, mm-hmm. while they were there, uh, but they were very rare. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I like I said, I spent eight winters professionally guiding and fishing for them uh, for trout, and never caught a perca once. So yeah, they've pretty much been out overrun. Yeah, mm-hmm. who who starts that idea to put North American trout in? Uh, Patagonian streams. Um, I mean, from my from my recollection of the history of it, and it's been a minute since I've been over it, so you know, pardon me if I make any mistakes. But my my recollection is that you know the the brown trout came from Europe, and the and the rainbows came from America. So as the explorers and and the folks started to uh, land, they wanted to bring the trout with them. Oh, and so yeah, they just put them aboard ships. Uh, punched holes in the barrels, keep the water oxygenated, and shipped them down there. Wow. Yeah, and then dumped them in the streams. And it's really remarkable because the streams happen to be perfect for trout. Yeah. So they took off. That's that's so cool. I thought yeah. it would be like something like, uh, you know, Argentina's tr- tourism board said, we want to make this a fishing destination. Let's oh, yeah, get some no, it's trout. Pre- predates that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like like turn of the century of the 19th century or the yeah. 1900s yeah mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of stories like that where settlers brought something like this i mean this axis this is an axis deer mm-hmm. shot on um lanai joe joe text me if that's where it was shot mm-hmm. um uh and that was the same thing where people settlers brought the deer onto the island as a food source but they originate from south asia and so their their main predator there are tigers. So they're made to get away from tigers. And so they're quick as fuck, fat, so fast yeah. that um, nothing, there's no predators on any of the Hawaiian islands that can could ever catch them. I don't think there's any predators there, period. But, you know, humans are their only predators. Mm-hmm. So every time anybody goes and hunts there, it's, it's um, c- c- culling an invasive species, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so it's really good. It's delicious meat. It's like the only like a hundred percent positive hunting experience I think I've heard of. Right. Right. Where it's, it's all like win win. You're helping the pop the help you're making a more healthy population. You're stopping deer from getting like hit. You're stopping the nuisance of all these animals. Mm-hmm. You're having a great time hunting. Mm-hmm. You're getting good meat. 
and you know all the stuff and you know your guide is making money off of it all the stuff right it's all perfect right yeah that's a pretty it's good, the only one yeah, pretty good story where every other hunting experience is or something every other time you uh introduce a invasive species it turns into a total disaster yeah and maybe it's because it's a deer that you don't have like you know they have uh maybe population um management more built in where if they ate all the grass then mm -hmm. deer would die of starvation kind mm -hmm. of a thing mm -hmm. i don't know yeah i don't know not the same with like you know beetles or something where they just go and mess up trees and around people's houses and right. whatever right because they don't have as good of a population control built yeah. in yeah that's true they just explode at yeah. infinitum yeah mm -hmm. so you you like hunting what are um do you elk hunt what do you do yeah, so I, I love i used to love elk hunting and i guided elk hunting i think 16 16 seasons mm -hmm. um so i love that i love guiding people for archery elk was my favorite because it's so personal and intimate Mm -hmm. and challenging as yeah. well i yeah. should mention um and uh yeah so i did quite a lot of elk hunting i'm not as mad at them as i used to be so i've sort of walked away from that for the most part um and don't hunt myself for big game anymore um occasionally go chase birds somewhere mm -hmm. yeah uh, but that's about the extent of my personal hunting yeah yeah I've hunted twice in my life, and it was one time. One time was just walking around in a field, didn't find anything, didn't yeah. shoot anything, and then another time. What I'm were like, you? Sh what were you hoping to find? I don't even remember. Right. I had a roommate <laughs> who hunts a lot, and he's like, "Yeah, let's just go out. and We can shoot at some trees or something, and you know, what, maybe like maybe that, a pheasant will jump up or something." That scene in Wedding Crashers where yeah. Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson are going to hunt for exactly. the big bad quail. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, we shot some trees, and one of the other guys took a shot at a or something <laughs> i don't know college that was college tyler more responsible we don't do that anymore that's hilarious yeah oh and the gosh. second time we were actually specifically duck hunting but it was a day after the opener yes. so no ducks were around they had gotten out of dodge yeah so yeah. we just sat i just sat in the edge of a pond yeah. for like two hours mm -hmm. early early in the morning in near duluth minnesota it's probably cold but um i would think that i'm in the minority of people that don't do hunting has done it twice but really really respect that there's hunters out there and really like admire that it's a really cool thing that people can do and that it's an awesome way to connect with nature and find your food yeah um that i you know i watch meat eater all the time i watch there's a movie about hunting uh, called like all the stars in the sky that from steve ranella hmm. on netflix really good watch to check that out yeah. yeah um all the stars in the sky okay i think that's what it is yeah okay. um but I, but the, it seems like hunting is one of those activities where if you're in it, you're so obsessed with it. Everyone's got to do it. It's the greatest thing ever. And then there's a lot of people who don't do it, who don't want you to do it either. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot yeah. of that goes with kind of the gun stuff. And sure. They yeah. don't understand. A lot of people who don't hunt under, don't understand how um, a lot of hunters are really conservationists to an extent because they're sure. helping manage, manage sure. population. I mean, it's, it's super, po it's a polarizing activity right yeah. i mean it deals with death violence yeah. blood mm -hmm. um it has so, has some really messy parts to it no yeah. doubt mm -hmm. um and 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 that's real and you can't get away from it and and that's okay uh to feel however anybody feels about it at the same time 
it has some some great attributes as well the challenge mm-hmm. uh the places it takes you mm-hmm. the respect for the animals that you're chasing yeah uh the conservation part for those animals uh nobody yeah. nobody works harder for the animals than good conservation-minded hunters yeah i don't think there's much argument for that it, yeah, it's more like lack of understanding how the right. fin- financing of that works, right? right? Like all the protection for animals, uh, for sure, like North America, it comes from um, the money from the hunters. Right. Right? Yes. Or, the, or slash fishermen getting yeah. their um, fishing licenses. That's right. And and we used to say that, you know, we, we were a catch and release uh, jumping over to fishing for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not the same, obviously. Um, but we were always catch and release uh, on are fishing for trout and mm. people kind of didn't understand that why if you're going to go through the trouble of catching it why don't you keep and eat it mm-hmm. and the uh the joke was well you wouldn't catch and eat your business partner right <laughs> i mean that that is the that is the thing that makes i would our alex watch go. out yeah. i would <laughs> alex you better stay on your toes yes. i mean there are exceptions to every rule right yeah. so alex look out but <laughs> otherwise you want to put your business partner back so you can work with them again tomorrow yeah and uh and that was our our concept and and even though you can't catch and release when you're hunting um you can still do it in a way that makes sure that the populations are viable and sustainable and in the best shape they can possibly be so that you can continue that pursuit you know forever yeah definitely yeah i've i've wondered that too about the catch and release nature of fly fishing specifically you Mm -hmm. know because a lot more in you know minnesota it's you catch walleye and you Mm -hmm. eat walleye because walleye is delicious yes um and i'm you know trout's delicious too Mm -hmm. um but it's like the people you know it kind of goes to like the character not not really character the kind of demographic of the person that's the that's the western hunter and also the western fly fisherman Mm -hmm. they're you know they go hunting to find their food and for all those other reasons we just talked about and then they go fishing for all the other reasons we talked about but not to find their food and it's like the same person doing the things for different reasons but they're fairly they're kind of similar activities in the sense that you're in nature you know almost use i would almost use the word harvesting mm-hmm. uh, a natural resource one for food one for that recurring enjoyment of mm-hmm. the chase of, mm-hmm. of the fishing yeah that's right and i think too you know it's um it's not always as black and white as it's always catch and release yeah or it's always catch and kill uh, I mean, the Snake River is a perfect example. Fishing game puts a lot of thought, energy, time, resources, research, money into deciding what the limits on those fish should be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, b- by and large, the vast majority of fly fishing guides and outfitters are catch and release minded because they recognize the pressure that the Snake River system has on it. Uh-huh. And then if every tourist that goes fly fishing and every fishing guide that goes fly fishing all kept all the fish they could that would diminish the resource. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're in a high alpine lake that is chock full of brook trout that are all 10 inches long with big heads and little bodies, mm-hmm. uh, you probably do the, f- the fishery a favor by keeping some of those fish because they're clearly overpopulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the fishery, the resource would be healthier if some of those fish were culled. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're doing it by the guidelines, Killing some of those fish is totally appropriate and, frankly, might be a good idea. Yeah. Okay. I get it now. It's, it's you know, more because the where we our area here is just yes. highly populated with, right. with 
local and tourist fishermen. Exactly. Okay, I see now. Yeah, I think that, and, and and that's the case in a lot of areas, a lot of mountain towns. So yeah, um, yeah, you sort of have to, you know, go into it eyes wide open and make sure you're making good choices regardless of where you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see now. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine how fun it is. Like if you're doing like a, almost like a river camping type trip, and you're, you know, just the vibe of catching a, a couple a mm-hmm. couple great fish and eating them that night for dinner with some yeah. you know yeah. some montuckies or some rainiers or something like that you know under the stars i get i can't imagine how great that would be totally i remember one of my early fishing trips in the wind river range and i was the fishing guide right and i was a yeah. whopping 24 years old <laughs> yeah. and thought i was freaking you know the next great outdoorsman and i was taking this family from alabama fishing and uh we caught a couple of really big trout in a lake and I helped one of the young kids catch a really big uh, trout in the lake. We brought them back and we cooked them and we were eating them over the, you know, next to the fire that night, all that country stuff. Yeah. And the little kid who was probably, I don't know, 10, maybe 12, looked at his dad and he said, dad, this trout is so delicious and it's free. (laughs) And his dad looked at him. He goes, you see, Jim, he's not free. See all those horses? They're not free. These tents, the wranglers, the cook, this is free, but I love your enthusiasm. That's amazing. He's like, Dad, why don't we just live out here and live off of fish? What's so hard about this? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That was great. That's so fun. We... um, Growing up, we would go up to Lake of the Woods, you know, borders Uh Canada and Minnesota. We'd go to the Canada side and... um, in the, the we found this chain of resorts where they take you out with fishing guides and they were all these old native american guys and mm-hmm. they had, you know grown up on there they're like kind of a coming of age thing that they would do is their dads would drop them off with a boat and just enough fuel to get home mm-hmm. and they'd mm-hmm. have to get back on their own and like that was their kind of like okay you want you know the lake now yeah and lake of the woods i don't know if you've ever been up there but I it's haven't. very difficult to, to navigate because there's a lot of islands and peninsulas and things and it's all just pine trees and there's very few like landmarks to go off okay. of. okay and where you you know in really long peninsulas so you could be going down uh, a stretch of lake and it's a dead end mm-hmm. where you think you're going through a canal that brings you home or something right. right so a lot of that tough to navigate so guides are an essential thing there but what we do in the morning you, you go fish you go jig for walleye in the morning and they find like these like ledges or drop-offs where the walleye are hanging out and you there's a slot there for what you can keep mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then if you're far enough away from the lodge they will will go, you go to beaver dams and get the wood off of there because it's dried and dead and then they they make a shore lunch for you oh yeah so it's like the the they'll fillet the walleye you caught that morning they'll bring like some vegetables and some other stuff to go along with the lunch but then they, you you find an island and eat your lunch on mm. an island and then go right back out and go fish. Yeah. In the afternoons, we would set it up to where we'd troll for just big northerns. So you take these like lures like that big and you just sit there and you just troll around these like rock piles that you can find in the lake. Uh-huh. And, you know, you try to find, you know, that's where you're going for the 40, 50 inch northern or yeah. musky or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Boy, I like the sound of those shore lunches. Yeah, it that was sounds amazing. rewarding yeah. and delicious. Yeah. It most, I mean, some of the days, you know, Lake of the Woods, sometimes we, we usually go in August or on early August, but sometimes you get some really shitty days up there, mm-hmm. like rainy, cold, but mm-hmm. most days are just beautiful, sunny, you're hanging out on an island, like there's nothing, the only p- other people you see occasionally are other boats, but usually not, a ton of pelicans, you know, eagles everywhere, 
it was it was so much fun yeah that sounds fantastic yeah. sounds beautiful yeah yeah i've heard a lot about it definitely yeah. i don't fish i don't really i've never i haven't fished here yet and i think we've chatted about this but i know i have too many yeah. fishing guide friends to have never fished here yeah and we were joking about you know you're you're here for the winter season primarily yeah and then i'm here for the summer and fall yeah. season primarily yeah. yeah so we can all coexist yeah, yeah. but we got to get you out there I do. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And whether it's That's gonna happen. I've been trying to get Chaz and Trav to do uh like a fishing video or like kind of it's like a you know, a profile on one of them because that's that's their main their oh, main yeah. fun that they like to do. Right. But it might just get transferred over to you as like go. a profile for Jim. We're in to actually get you out and get me in the boat and film stuff mm-hmm. and you know, be like a true like in depth look at like, you know, Jim Hickey fishing. Yeah. Love it. Let's go. Do you have a boat? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. You awesome. bet. South Fork Skiff. One of the OGs. One of the originals. That mean that doesn't mean anything to me. Let's look this up. I we know. gotta look this I up. Know. I know. South That's, Fork Skiff. That is South a Fork that is a nerd as a boat fly fishing nerd thing to say. <laughs> yeah. But it is uh yeah, it's my pride and joy. My wife, all the credit goes to her. She found it on Craigslist. It was literally under a tarp in someone's backyard in Bozeman, Montana. And it's wow. about a nineteen ninety South Fork Skiff. Uh, this is one of the originals um, that they we just googled first South Fork made. S- yep. Fort Skip. Looks Fort exactly Skip. like that one right oh, there. Yeah. Nice. And uh, you know the trailer was worth. Well, the guy should have paid me fifty bucks to take the trailer. <laughs> yeah. But the boat is priceless. It oh, still wow. has the Victor Idaho phone number that was the original office, to my knowledge. Oh wow! Of South Fork Skiff boats. So yeah, that's so cool. Really neat. So yes, I've got a boat. I know how to row. Got the gear. Yeah, let's do it up. We're gonna do it. I love the uh, somebody a, a different. I swear I have like let's see let's let me count how many fishing guide friends I have mm-hmm. now. You Chaz Trav, Ryan Guthrie. He works for the Sacred Sporting Club now. Okay. Yeah, I um, know the name. Eric. His last name, I don't know who he works for. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's got to be like 10. Yeah, I'm not gonna go through them all, but it's like 10. But at, <laughs> one of them was telling me about the whole like shuttle system that is sure. that is instilled here, and I love that. How so I love how cool that is, and how there's just people leaving their keys and cash in there. We should shh, not really know oh, we should, if they we are. Should we, should we not talk about that? <laughs> is it kind of the same as like? Not telling your like spot where there's going to be powder late in the year. Well, I just think that you know it is it is a wonderful system and it's worked for decades and decades. Yeah. And at the same time, it's one of those systems that we thankfully live in a in a community where yeah. everyone respects it. Yeah. Because it would be a massive. Yeah, we can cut wrong. that out if we think after the podcast we yeah. should talk about it. But yeah, um, yeah, it's similar to the the whole hitchhiking scene in the past for skiing or mountain That's biking. Exactly right. Like yep. I mean, I'm I won't. If somebody was trying to bother me when I was hitchhiking, I'm a six five guy mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes carry bear spray with me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm was gonna get hitch gonna hitchhike alone, I'm gonna be safe. But you know, any like kids hitchhike, you know, girls, sure. women hitchhike. Yep. And it's like nobody's ever nobody ever blinks an eye on it That's at it around here. Yeah. But everywhere, everybody every time I tell anybody, Yeah, you know, I hitchhiked the pass and rode this mountain bike trail, they're like, You did what? Yeah. You hitchhiked? I hope it's always that way. Yeah. I it's hope so the shuttle great. system, I hope hitchhiking to ski and snowboard, I hope they always work here. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's in, to your point, it's, 
there's just enough people that just value other people and there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of, what would be the word? Ne'er-do-wellers. Right. That yeah. want to just Take mess up these systems That's and right. do something bad to, you know, tarnish the whole image of the system. That's right. Because it would, you know, it would take one story of uh, a kid getting carried off that was mountain biking to ruin that whole thing. That's right. You know, yeah. parents would not be cool with that anymore. Right. And and every once in a while, something something bad happens, but by and large, the vast majority, it just works. It's seamless. Yeah. Everybody respects everybody. And then the best part is that there's the kind of this culture of like, if you think you want to get hitchhiked mm-hmm. in the future, mm-hmm. you will pick people up. That's because right. Because you want that karma. Karma. And I say it to myself, I'm like, like if I can't one day, like I'm late or something, mm-hmm. or like I don't have enough room, I'd be like, ah, I, I know you think that I can pick you up, but I don't have the room today. And I, I know. Feel bad. I always feel bad. And I always look like, down or straight ahead. Yeah, like, nope, I'm not. Uh, what? I, don't I didn't even you. notice you were there. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Because I have a truck and I almost, oh, in the summer, I have a bike rack on the Same. truck. And so they're like, man, you could take so many bikes. And then, but, but oftentimes I'll get like, you know, a four pack where they're like, I'm like, as long as you want to sit with dogs, you can come in. Yeah. And they're all usually into it. We fit them all the bikes, two on the rack, two in the bed. And what are you doing, Bridge? He's, he's, he's keeping my feet warm. Yeah. He doesn't usually sit in here for the podcast. Sweet boy. Yeah. Well, you know, something that struck me while we were chatting about, the people that are passionate about hunting and the people that are passionate about fishing, boating, and then, of course, all the winter pursuits, mm-hmm. cross-country, downhill, snowboarding, mm-hmm. you know, all the uh, the backcountry skiing. Yeah, that That is the beauty of this mountain town. It's the beauty of what I get to do. If, if you and I were working together and I was trying to help you find your spot mm-hmm. to make your Western dream a reality, yeah, like we'd be concentrating on ski accessibility or yeah. snowboarding accessibility or whatever the case may be that your pursuit, whereas if you were working with me, it'd be fishing, it'd be hunting, mm-hmm. it'd be the public lands that I can utilize in the, in the summertime in the fall. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't you know i'm steering it all the way back but at the same time i i do want to say that that's that's the beauty of this place that everybody has a little bit of something that they can you know grab onto love and enjoy feel passionate about and that's what i get to help them realize Mm -hmm. and it's super rewarding yeah it's something that i've talked about um, uniting all the people that live in areas like this mountain towns and people around here that we're all here for, you know, that one activity that drives us or yeah. that one, you know, it's mostly activity based. Mm-hmm. But once, you, you know, maybe the older folks are more just like they want the peace and mm-hmm. serenity of mm-hmm. being in the mountains. But it's that one thing that that got us out here. Yeah. And so that the we can all be united in knowing that, like, you know, there's so many other people that are here for snowboarding, here mm-hmm. for splitboarding, mm-hmm. just like I am. Mm-hmm. So many people here that are here for fishing, just like you. Right. And you can find really good friendships based off of that because, you know, if I and drop me in the in town right now and I could go talk to someone who's a local and say like, all right, what do you like to do? Let's go do it. Because mm-hmm. it's going to be skiing, snowboarding, yep, or fishing, yep, or mountain biking, I was or hiking, say biking, yeah, and then climbing right. is one that I don't really want to do, but mm-hmm. that's another common one, one out here. Yep, but there's you know there's like the five core activities mm-hmm. here that mm-hmm. you could find common ground with anybody. That's right. That's yep. exactly right. And I think it's worth mentioning too that I mean you mentioned too that I think are real and especially in the last two and a half years we've seen a real influx of people and their ideal mountain lifestyle is peace and serenity. Yeah. So so maybe or and privacy. Mm-hmm. And space, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe they were in a metro area. 
Yeah. And they were really close to other people and fighting traffic and, you know, dealing with some of the hassles of an urban lifestyle. And they finally, after being shut into that for a long time, decided there's got to be something better out there. Oh, yeah. And and so that that's that's a big part of why they're here, the peace and serenity. And that's just as valid. Definitely. Yeah. And that's something I help people with all the time and also just as rewarding. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I couldn't imagine, um, you know, when, when real, when COVID got real heavy, real serious there mm-hmm. in 20, March, 2020, April, 2020. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my friends in, in Minneapolis and around Minneapolis, they were like, you know, we only get to go outside for like an hour, our hour walk. And that's like oh what the government gosh. is allowing where like my life here. It. Yeah. I, I got it. a little stir crazy, but I got to go do the resort clothes, but I still go in the back country every sure. day anyways you know, staying away from everybody anyways. These yeah. are my two, my two partners in the back country. Right. So my, like our life didn't really change a ton. You know, we didn't, the bars were closed. Yeah, we did, buddy. Bridger, we gotta, we gotta do this podcast. Sorry, I can't. He wants to be let, out, let outside, but we can't right now. You know, but besides going to the bars less, which is probably a healthy thing sure. that I wasn't allowed yeah. to do that, right. you know, cause it was great. It was like, you know, some of us, us and our friends realized, you know, Maybe the cowboy bar every Friday isn't really that fun, mm-hmm. you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, you get Maybe too drunk time and for spend a break. too much money. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Let's go, you know, we love going up to um, the end of the road up by Kelly, north of Kelly, where it just turns mm-hmm. into Shadow Mountain sure. Road. Yeah. <laughs> we love going up there and like bringing a charcuterie board and some drinks and watching the sunset. Can't imagine anything you know, more fun. That on a Friday speaks oh to gosh. me a lot more than going to the cowboy bar. Yes. Right. Yes. So you kind of got a chance to reevaluate and really decide what is really important to you. Yeah. And, you know, with the people that really love going to the bars or going to breweries or whatever, like there's, you know, that's their thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, we were just more making the point that we we're lucky that we were already here and that our lives didn't have to be totally shut down. Yes. Our, the, the stuff we like doing wasn't Very totally shut down. Very fortunate we could get outside we could get some fresh air, some exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. also the fact that we're in a pretty red state, you know, our beaches weren't closed. Our, right. You, know, you see them, those stories from California where they were, mm. the police were chasing down surfers and mm. it's like, what are we doing? Right. <laughs> right. Like now we know so much more about COVID. Granted, like we didn't know that it basically doesn't survive outside. We didn't know that vitamin D is like the best thing for not mm-hmm. getting it. Mm-hmm. We didn't know all these things. So they were like, I guess we got to shut down the beaches. Sure. doesn't make any sense now. No, no. Right? We've, we've, yeah, we can see that now. We but it was scary. Now. Yeah. For a little while. For like, I, I'll admit this. I said this in the podcast before. When it, uh, everything shut down, we were seeing the toilet paper shortages. I was like, oh shit, you know, let's uh-huh. go. I'm going to go buy a bunch of canned goods and we're going to go apocalypse. I'm going to go apocalypse shopping mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are the things to keep Taylor and I alive? Yep. In cuz have you been up on Saddle Butte mm-hmm. recently? Oh sure. So we were in where you know what splits off to the dirt road. Yes. That it used to be a house with a newer guest house, but the older house got torn down. And it's right next to what is now like a huge compound up there. Mm-hmm. I think I know where you are. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um so we were in the guest house, but it I was like, okay, if shit hits the fan, and I need to survive in this house right here. Yeah. What do I need? And it was like canned vegetables, soup, like tuna, <laughs> like stuff I wouldn't normally buy. And it was like nothing perishable. We're getting like, you know, all this stuff. I was, I fully went into apocalypse mode for right. one day. Right. But for then one it was day. one day I was like freaked out. <laughs> something happened. You know, I saw like some crazy picture from 
from China or something where it was like dead bodies in the streets. Oh remember God. those pictures? How crazy that I, was? I don't remember those, but yeah. maybe I missed them. It was like you, in the beginning, there was these stories of like in 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 it, none of the words I just said, Bridger, you know. So I don't know why you're tilting your head. <laughs> It was like you'd see these stories in from Italy. Remember how bad it went through Italy? Yes. Where it'd be like it'd be like a recorded phone call to um the emergency services saying like my sister just died from COVID and she's her dead body's laying in here in our apartment or something and like nobody would go help cuz you know they were they all busy wanna, with everybody yeah. else. You know, it was like the two week period where I was like this might be the end of civil- civilization. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Everybody's texting me during this. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's to the point of um, let's let's hope that in some some amount of years, I will be able to afford a beautiful ranch property that you can help me with. There you go. And you can find me something right up, you know, right up in the, in the past so I can mm-hmm. skin, mm-hmm. I can split board right from my, from my back door. Someone someone be right from my back door yep. and get right up there and. Yeah. That'll be great. So um, this, uh, I'm actually going to take the opportunity to say that um, the prices for our marketing services have now doubled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. And that's not Jim's fault? Yeah. <laughs> Jim is setting the real estate prices in town specifically. <laughs> and he actually is specialized in the, in the affordable, quote unquote, affordable housing market. He goes, he's the price master. That's right. That's right. That's my day job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're at an hour and sixteen minutes. Bridger is getting Bridger is getting antsy because he yeah. wants to go probably O U T, but he knows that word, so I'm just gonna spell it. He's yep. looking right at me, tilting his head. He knows. Um, it's time. Is there anything else we need to talk about from uh, more of a businessy sense? You know. No. I mean, I not not for me. I appreciate keeping it more general and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I'm good. Yeah. We wrap this up. So yeah. Um. Anybody out there? Um. You know. There's not the average person is not your average uh, Western Wyoming, Eastern Idaho ranch buyer. But if anybody has any questions about how to live that sort of Western lifestyle, Jim is a great resource for that. Um, and you can find him at uh, at J Hickey Real Estate on Instagram, correct? And Jim Hickey Real Estate on Facebook. Yes. And is the new website live yet? It is not live. It's very it's close. close. Yeah, but, but you still you already hit, you already have a section in the England Volker. Yes, correct. The England Volker's Jackson Hole website has yeah. my own website attached yep. to it. Yep, mm-hmm. it's a great. Even that is awesome site. The pictures you have in there are so cool. If you like hunting and fishing, you're like waist deep in a stream. Yeah, those are fun pictures to take. Yeah, yeah, those are really fun. Yeah, it's great when you go out. Like I, I tell this to Justin and my the guys at Content Create for me. It's like. You know, we love content creation, but we also love snowboarding and skiing and hiking and biking and fishing and stuff. So let's go do that stuff and yes. create content while we're doing it and make sure it's usable and follows our brand, you know, templates that we like to use and whatever. Make yeah. it valuable. Yeah. But then we get to go, we get paid to go do the things we love to do anyways. That's exactly Guys, right. so this is the key. So I want to enable them to like do that, make it valuable. Mm-hmm. I'll find them revenue streams to allow them to do that. And then that's my value add to them. Yeah. You know, that's, that's gotta be a good, they, they must gravitate towards that. That, that has to make sense to them. Yeah. yeah. At, at first they don't really get what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like read between the lines, go do what you like doing <laughs> and take pictures and videos and make it cool. And then I'll figure out how to make it 
talk to Jim Hickey's audience, mm-hmm. right? And that's my job, mm-hmm. right? And I'm okay sitting here and doing that and growing my business, but yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And so also, uh, I should say, if you message Jim Hickey Real Estate on Instagram, I might respond, so don't say anything too silly on there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, Jim, thanks for coming on. Everybody go hit him up, follow his account. That would really help World Me Marketing out. Um, we post really cool content. Some of it's real estate related. Some of it's listings. A lot of it's you know Jackson Hole, um, Western Wyoming, Eastern Idaho lifestyle focus. It's all the activities like we just talked about. It's yeah. somebody fishing. It's a drone shot of something. It's the Tetons. It's mm-hmm. you know ranch, beautiful ranch properties. Yeah, horseback what riding. Yeah. whatever the case may be. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're coming up with a really cool real related to horses. Oh, fantastic. I'll, I'll let you know once we stop recording because I've been sitting in this for a while. Nice. And it's going to go, it's going to be big. Mark my words, everyone. Great. Mark my words. Great. Well, thank you. Appreciate yes, it. Definitely. Thank you for coming over. My pleasure. All right, everyone. That's an episode.